Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, You are Christ the Lord. And Lord, we thank You and we worship You. Not only with our songs, but with our very lives, Lord. Speak through David today as he delivers his message. Let his words be Your words. And let the information that You would have to give us today uh, in the Spirit of the Holy Spirit just fill this room and fill our minds so that we can change our lives as we walk through day to day glorifying and honoring and worshiping you. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is David, and uh, <clears throat> I'm glad to be here today. I'm a friend of Ron's, or at least uh, I would say that. He may not. But uh, I've known Ron for quite a while, and he's away today uh, do, performing a wedding for his cousin, and so he asked me to come in. Uh, I serve in Florida. But uh, Ron and I worked together about 10 years ago at a little small mission church across town called Prestonwood. And so we had a great time there and a few familiar faces in the room from those days. Um, but it's good to be here with you today on Father's Day. Uh, I am a father. I have three boys. And they're not with me today uh, because I'm here for a conference. And the in-laws have them, which uh, is good. Uh, and they called me bright and early this morning because they woke up and said, Happy Father's Day, Daddy. And so I appreciate that. So, Dad, happy Father's Day. Uh, good to be here. I uh, have the opportunity to go to China uh, several times um, for tourism, if you know what that means. Uh, and uh, those few times I've been there, I had the opportunity to go to the Great Wall of China one time. And the Great Wall is an amazing place. If you've been there, uh, it's unbelievable. You uh, hike up a little bit and take all these steps, and you get to it, and usually the sort of the tourist sections... Um, are, are amazing and you walk up steep steps that are uneven and you just look for miles and miles and miles and miles over this terrain that is hilly thick brush uh, impassable and there's this wall running straight through it up and down up and down um, some places it's still pretty well intact other places it's crumbled but, but the Great Wall is a tremendous symbol of, of power and might and fortitude that the Chinese uh, attempted to, or they did build, and they were trying to keep the Mongolians out, and uh, for many years they did. And, and it's a great symbol of strength. Uh, but today, uh, we know, thanks to history, that the Great Wall didn't last. It didn't fulfill its duty. Because the Mongols couldn't get over the wall. They couldn't achieve success by trying to attack the wall. And so what they did was, if, so if you can't beat them, bribe them, right? That was sort of their motto. And sort of, instead of trying to scale the wall, they started to bribe the gatekeepers. And they were allowed to come in and ultimately defeat the Chinese. And I, I think about the Berlin Wall. If you've ever been over to, to Europe and the Eastern Bloc, and so for so many years that wall stood as a separation from what we would think sort of in America, all things good and all things evil. And yet one day, uh, President Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev stood there and, you know, tear that wall down. And this tremendous ceremony of, of knocking that wall down, sort of breaking the wall of divide through political means to avoid war, right? That was the goal. Both sides are powerful. We know that if this lasts, we're all going to die. Um, and that's overgeneralizing sort of the Cold War era. But you get the point. And then I think to the town that I live in. There's a beautiful neighborhood called Isleworth. 
You might have heard of this place uh, in recent days because that's where uh, our young Tiger Woods lives. And Isleworth is a beautiful neighborhood. The homes in there are amazing and it's protected by a 20-foot high wall all the way around the entire neighborhood. It is double-gated. It has a gate and then another gate with a guard. And yet, even that couldn't protect Tiger Woods a few months ago from his life falling apart. And so today, as you and I kind of think about um, our lives and we think about what's going on in our world, I I want you to uh, look at a little book in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a few minutes to find it. It's Obadiah. And if if you're unfamiliar, just go to the table of contents and find it. If you're going to be adventurous, it's right after Amos, just before Jonah. If you get to Micah and that, you've gone too far, okay? But but today I, I want us to think through what are the things that prevent us that we have sort of put in our lives that we think protect us, that give us strength and power and wisdom, that in the end just fall short. Well, the book of Obadiah is a little short book that is a great example of that, a great testimony of what God does when we think uh, we're bigger than we really are. And I pray that it won't be uh, a discouragement to you today, but an encouragement, because most of these minor prophets, sort of bad news and worse news, that's the whole section of the minor prophets, bad news and worse news. But today we'll take this and, and prayerfully be encouraged by it as we look at uh, Obadiah and, and what he has to say, what God has to say uh, through Obadiah. And so if you've you found Obadiah, hopefully, we're going to read most of the book, uh, which won't take us too long uh, to do that. But I want to begin uh, and read the first nine verses for us as we think through uh, what God is calling us to do and who we should love uh, on this Father's Day says this, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. And we're going to stop right there. Edom um, is code word for all the people who are descendants of Esau, right? Jacob and Esau, two brothers. So all the descendants of Esau are called Edomites, right? Edom. Okay, So that gives you a little context. We're going to talk a bit more about that in a minute. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like an eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, How you have been destroyed. Would they not not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? Verse 6, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasure sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Be encouraged today. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Glad we came to church on Father's Day. 
But, but as I read this first section, and this, again, what's the theme of the minor prophets? Bad to worse, so it's only going to get worse here. But as you, as you and I sort of process this, what's happening to this ancient culture, the Edomites, uh, these folks who are in southeast Judah, if you sort of picture in the back of your Bible all those maps, there's the Dead Sea, there's the Dead Sea here, Edom is right here on the southeast side of that. And, and God is... is sharing with the Edomites that, you know what, you think you're the greatest thing in the world. You think nothing can destroy you. And he tells them why they think that. If you look back up in in verse 3, he says, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock. And, And that's a very telling sign. I know all of us study ancient geography and all those things. That's real, you know, high on my list too. But the Edomites lived among these redstone cliffs that would sometimes rise up to 5,000 feet. And they lived in this section where the only way to get to their city was through a narrow gorge. And so they had great power, great advantage over the people. And this is important cities that would later become, the capital city would later become the city Petra that we hear about in the New Testament. And so the Edomites had this strong sense of pride. They knew they were powerful. They knew they had advantage. They knew they had great things. And so they rested on that. And and as I think about us in the 21st century, how often pride and that sort of self-love is so important to us. So important to our culture. And I would say probably a sin that most of us don't care too much about. Right? We don't pay much attention to it. Right? If you commit adultery, or you murder somebody, or even you lie, or you're a drunkard, th- those are immensely worse than pride, right? Because we're all supposed to be proud, right? I'm a Texan, and I live in Florida, but most people in Florida can't stand me, right? Because I'm a Texan. I'm proud of the fact that I'm a Texan. And I let them know as often as I can. I tell them things like, we're the only state that can secede from the Union legally. You know, there's flags on the office, a big map of Texas. I wear orange a lot. I went to the University of Texas. Aggies, my sister went to A&M. So, sort of my concession. But but I think about that. I, I think about pride and how, you know what, I'm pretty smart you know, I'm a part of a great ministry at a great church and, and, and I've got a great family. And you know what? I, I'm proud of that. And I can do a lot. I'm pretty smart. You know, I haven't lost all my hair yet. You know, I, I can go places and do things. And most of us think the same way. And yet that's the very thing that God sort of gets them here on. And, and He systematically sort of tears them down. And he starts with this whole idea of where they live, their position. They thought they were so strong because of where they lived. So powerful. that The geography of their location assured them victory every time. Because it is said that that narrow gorge was, was so tiny that oftentimes only one man could actually walk through it 
So you have to go single file. So imagine an army trying to attack the Edomites single file. Not very easy. Legend has it that 12 men could defend the city against an army of over 3,000. 12 guys. Just stand there because all you have to do, well, they didn't have guns, but just with their arrows, beep, beep, one at a time. As long as you don't run out of arrows, you're okay. And so they believed they were the most powerful city in the world because nobody could defend them. And yet God says, you're going you're gonna to go down. And they did go down. Enemies would end up, over time, watching the Edomites go up and down the cliffs because the Edomites had figured out how to go up and down the cliffs. And so their enemies began to watch them at night, at dawn, go up and down. And they would find the trail up the cliff. And that's how they defeated them. They got lazy in their pride. And how often you and I, that's the very same thing. We rest on our position, the, the, the power we have, the, the position that we hold. And I, I'll never forget when I was in middle school, I went over to one of my friend's house. His dad was an architect and he had built their house. And, and the front of their house looked like a Viking ship. It, it was unbelievable. It was amazingly cool. And inside it was very sort of what I would say 70s contemporary because that's when they built it. Uh, it was in the 70s. But, but one evening, uh, it was my friend Brian, another friend Mike, and another friend Kenneth. We were all together, and, and Mike and Brian sort of had the advantage because it was Brian's house. So anytime there was competition, I sort of got stuck with Kenneth. We were the two Baptists, and uh, Brian and, and Mike were Catholics. So it was sort of the Catholics versus the Baptists, you know, in, that, in any kind of competition. Well, somehow we got involved in this um, squirt gun thing inside the house, squirt gun competition inside the house. You can imagine his mom was real thrilled with us. But it got so bad that we were losing because we only at one point had one little, you know, like the $1 squirt guns, and they had these big, you know, super soaker type things that I remind you in the house. And, but Kenneth had the ultimate weapon. He had a mag light. Not, not the, you know, little bitty sort of travel, no, no, the nine inch sort of, you know, not in the museum, you know, mag light. And so we hold ourselves up in the dining room, chairs all around us sort of under the table, and Brian and Mike would storm the gates. And I had a, one of those old uh, soap dispensers, you know, so that was my, that was my defense. But Kenneth had the ultimate weapon, the mag light. So they would come running in and Kenneth would just flash that light right at their face and they would go hit the deck. Right? They would try to close their eyes and shoot, but you know how well that is, especially when you're 12. It just doesn't work. And, and, and that's sort of what we rested on. Okay, the mag light is going to save the day. And we're going to stay dry and hopefully not destroy Mrs. Kep's house. But the truth is, we were defeated before we ever began. Because they had power. They knew all the tricks. They, they had home field advantage. And that's exactly what the enemy does to you and me. We think we've got some sort of, kind of ultimate weapon outside of this. Whether it's a degree on the wall, or an address in the right neighborhood, or some title on your business card 
or a perfect family, and we think, I've arrived. And God says, "Mm, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. Know that, that if you rest on your position, you take pride in who you are, and you love yourself so much that you have no room for the things of God, your city will come down. And so, how often do we rest in those things and not in the power and the strength of Almighty God and trust that it's Him him and Him alone that's going to see us through, that's going to protect us, that's going to give us provision, that's going to provide for us. And so, how do we overcome that? How do we walk through that? We have to change our heart. It says, the pride of your heart, verse 3, has deceived you. To change our heart. To allow God to come in and humble ourselves. It says, God opposes the proud. He confounds the wise, 1 Corinthians says, with the things that are foolish. Right? Foolish things, like climbing the side of a mountain. <laughs> foolish things. Surrendering your life to an, a God that you cannot see. Those are, those are foolish things. And yet that's what God says. Not relying on my position, not relying on my, relying on my power, but saying, God, I, I surrender to you. Not just my position, but also my relationships. Because the Edomites had made these relationships, these alliances with these other nations, these enemy nations. And what did they do? All they did was come in and plunder them, verse 5 says, in verse 6 and verse 7. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They've prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. The very people that you trusted in are going to deceive you, just like Survivor. That's exactly how Survivor works. You know the TV show, reality TV? They make all these crazy alliances, and haven't they seen the previous ten seasons? Right at some point, one of the people you make an alliance with is going to backstab you because they want a million bucks. They don't really care about you. The very person you're eating bugs with is the person who's going to deceive you so they can win. It's the same idea. And so who do you and I make relationship with? Who do we connect our lives with? Do we connect with those who are going to encourage us and and push us and, and lead us to holiness? Who do we love sort of outside of our family? Who are those deep relationships that we've connected with so that we can be spurred on in the faith and not taken astray, not led astray, not deceived by the world? Do we live sort of the survivor kind of life, hoping that if we make enough of the right alliances, we'll come out on top? Instead of just trusting and those that have our best interest in mind, those from the same path as us, those that, those that want to encourage us in our spiritual walk, are we content to continue to angle and make deals and side bets so that we can accomplish what we want to accomplish? It says that you'll be deceived in the end. You'll be deceived. And then if that weren't enough, he didn't say, oh, by the way, don't trust in where you live. Don't trust your friends. And 
don't trust yourself. Right? Verse 8, Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom? Now, the strange thing about this, Edom is actually known for its wisdom. Like the men in that culture were known to be very wise and intelligent. Uh, somebody you might know of even, um, Eliphaz. Now, you may not know him by that name, but you know Job, right? Job, he has two buddies. One of them is Eliphaz. The guys that told him he was a big idiot, a big sinner, and he should just die, right? So like his wife said that to him. He says, the Eliphaz is from Edom, right? This great man of wisdom telling Job he's a big sinner. Solomon in 1 Kings, it's even said that Solomon had more wisdom than those in the east. Edom is in the east. And yet it's their wisdom, their intelligence, their knowledge that ultimately destroys them. Because they become puffed up. They think they've got it all together. And they know all the answers. They've got it figured out. And yet God says, no. I will destroy the understanding out of Mount Esau. And so as you and I consider sort of how we live and who we are and and how much we love ourselves, is our self-love because our great pride in who we are ultimately destroying us? Is it destroying us? Because we have no room for God. We have no room for Him to come in and, and change our hearts and to mold us and to shape us into the image of Christ. We have no room for that. And most of us think that we can make it on our own and, and even if we would sit in here today and say, well, I know I can't make it on, so I'll just dab a little Jesus on it. That, that's pride in itself, right? That if I just get a little Jesus, I'm okay. A little bit of God, I'm alright. No, I, He wants all of us. And then I should take that whole idea of... of Loving God and surrendering myself completely and humbling myself before Him, right? And surrendering my life and say, God, you're my only hope. I can't make it without you. You're my only hope. And then as I do that, I understand that you are my only hope. Then you know what? That'll change the way I treat other people. That'll change the way that I love others. Because that's what the Edomites missed, right? They missed the two biggest commandments. Love God and love others. Because the last half of the book here, the last few verses is talking about that love for others, specifically his brother, Jacob. Look at verse 10. Because of the violence you've done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. So we get the message here. Um, Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. And do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. God calls them out for a very specific sin here. When your brother is at his weakest, you just stood there and laughed at him. You let the enemies just come on in and take everything they wanted. You gloated. You stood by. When Jerusalem is sacked, you just let them go on through. Your brother. Not, not some distant 
third cousin. No, your brother. You looked down upon them and despised them, verse 12 says. You rejoiced, right? Do not rejoice over the people of Judah. So what's that saying? They were happy. <laughs> it's like, remember when you were a kid, if you had brothers and sisters and your little brother or your big brother, probably if your big brother or big sister was getting in trouble for mom and dad, and you're standing behind mom and dad going, ha, 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 you know, that's what this is, right? Except ten times worse. That's exactly, you're gloating over the fact that they're being destroyed. You have no love for your own family. And how often in our stresses of life and our struggles do we sort of neglect the family? We neglect those who we're supposed to be closest to and love the most. We say things like, you deserved it. And yet, God speaks against that. That we shouldn't despise those who are that we should love the most, that are in our own family. And that's exactly what the Edomites did. They, they took their family and sort of said, I'm not my brother's keeper. It's none of my business. I just need to stay out of it. They made their bed, let them lie in it. And then when it was all said and done, they laughed at them, despised them, looked down upon them, got excited. Ha ha, look what you did, God. And God says, hmm, the same is coming to you. And so who do we love? Who is that person in your family or your set of friends that's tough to love? Right? Who is that person that you have a real challenge because you know that they're not walking with God or because you don't agree with what they've said to you in the past or you don't appreciate how they treat someone else. You've just looked down upon them. Or finally, they, they get in trouble or they lose their job and though you would never say this publicly, you would say, God, serves them right. Lazy bum. Sort of do the ha-ha, you know, nanny-nanny-boo-boo sort of stuff. And, and God says, no, no. These are the people that you're supposed to love and, and show grace to and extend mercy to and protect. And yet you're the one that let the enemy just walk on in and take everything they wanted. And we're excited about it. And so guess what's going to happen? Verse 15, the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Whoo! I bet that was a tough pill to swallow as Obadiah is speaking. As you have done, so it will be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape. It shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Look down at verse 21. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau in the kingdom 
shall be the Lord's. The beautiful thing about all these minor prophets is that it does go from bad to worse. And in most cases, like this one, there's a little tiny glimmer of hope for the group of people who get it right. And that's what verse 15 and on is about. That those of you that don't live loving God and loving others are going to get to experience the same thing. You're going to be an enemy. But yet those who love Him and pursue Him shall escape. And verse 17 says, shall have deliverance, shall be holy, and shall take possession of the land. There's a great reward for those of us that, that love God the way we should and love our friends and our family and those who are enemies of God the way we should. There's deliverance. Not deliverance like the crazy movie. Deliverance from our enemies. And there's a sense in which we get to receive and participate and enjoy the holiness of God. And we get to possess the land and, and receive blessing. And it doesn't mean we get a cool house in a great yard and live on the lake. But no, we get to receive the, the possession of the Lord and know Him and love Him and experience Him in His fullness. And so the question you and I have to answer today as we sort of process this, and now that you've read most of Obadiah, you know, someone asks you, because I know they will, right, all the time, what's this book of Obadiah about? Right, I'm sure that comes up in conversation at least once a month in your world. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, it's about pride and brotherly love. Who do you love? Do you love yourself more than you love God? And do you love your brother more than your enemies? And if you can do that, then you know what? God is going to do great things in your life. And He's going to allow you to experience His holiness and His purity. And you're going to receive His blessing if you can accomplish those two things. Humble yourself before the Lord and lift up those who are around you and those that you call family. That's what He'll do. He'll allow you to experience holiness and the goodness of the Lord. And so if you're here today and, and, and you're single, because I work with singles, so that's sort of my you know, bent. If you're single and you don't have kids, you, you, know, you sort of hang out with other singles, then you know what? Love God with all your heart. Connect with your friends. Lock arms with your friends. Say, you know what? We're going to pursue holiness and we're going to love each other despite that we're all sort of goofy and weird. And, and, and we're going to pursue God with all of who we are. And in the midst of even discouragement, uh, discouragements of life, I'm going to pursue God. And I know that He's going to deliver me. and He's going to give me blessing. And he's going to show me honor. And if you're here today and you're a kid, uh, whether you're 8 years old or you're 38 years old, and, and your parents in the room or not in the room, let, let me challenge you to realize you don't know everything yet. You don't. Just like I don't know everything yet, so trust your family. Trust your mom and dad to, to show you the way. Moms, let me challenge you. Wives, stand up for your husband, the one who you're supposed to stand up for. Stand up for him. And demonstrate that love that the Edomites didn't show for Jacob. Encourage your husband, especially in front of your kids. Encourage him. And dads, fathers, 
connect with your family, grab them and pull them tight and humbly lead them. Allow them to see that you don't have all the answers, but that you trust in the Almighty God. And you believe that through His Son, you're going to see great things happen in your life. And when you and I do that, when we understand that it's God who protects us, it is God who demonstrates His love for us so that we can love others, then great things are going to happen. And our families will demonstrate love like nobody else on this earth. And the world will take notice. And they'll see a difference. Because the world doesn't love like we can love. And so love one another. And love the Lord God Almighty like there's no tomorrow. And as that happens, you'll see Him do beyond what you can imagine. And so take a note from the Edomites. We don't got to figure it out. We got to trust and believe and hope in our Heavenly Father. Let me pray for you. Lord, most of us, as we think through sort of our daily lives, and if we were to ask that question, who do I love? Most of us answer pretty quickly the people that we say we love. But I know in the, in the, in the challenges and the stresses of life that, that we can fall prey just like the Edomites did to loving ourselves more than we love you. To loving ourselves and our position more than we even love our family. Being angry and frustrated at those who are around us. And so, Father, in these days, on this day, the day that we celebrate family and, and dad specifically, may we all decide to submit ourselves fully to you and love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. May we decide to love one another as Christ loved us. We lay our lives down for one another. And when that happens, we know that the world will see the gospel clearly presented through us. And we'll walk closer to you and see the world change dramatically for your sake. That's our prayer in Christ's powerful and holy name. Amen. Let's worship together.